On today's episode of Crazy Busy, the interviews, we're going to meet Heather Carlucci. How does a nice New York girl become a chef and a restaurateur in one of the most challenging cities in the world and then reinvent herself as a psychic medium and medical intuitive? You're going to find out on today's episode. You're listening to Crazy Busy, the podcast for executives, entrepreneurs, and savvy fast trackers who want to start their week sane and end it that way too. Here's your host, growth strategist, executive coach, and millennial leadership mentor, Karen Bellantoni. Heather, I am so excited to interview you today. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, doing this series of interviews has been uh, just incredibly powerful, introducing the stories of real women who have beat crazy busy to not only build a business, but pivot and reinvent themselves and build other businesses. And your story is obviously fascinating. Most people uh, don't know a psychic medium or a medical intuitive. So I think today our listeners are going to learn a lot about that and really how you juggle an interesting business like that that brings you to many places uh, with being a single mother. Heather, welcome. Tell us your story. Well, I was a chef and restaurateur for 30 years. And anything for 30 years can come to an end, for sure. Any relationship. Uh, in my case, after that, I had a really hard time finding a job. So I went towards the one, only other thing I knew how to do was be a psychic medium and medical intuitive. Okay, this is all fascinating. So after 30 years in the restaurant business, where I'm sure you had to juggle multiple priorities and multiple pans on the stove, literally, how did you kind of build the business and balance your life without getting crazy busy? As a chef? Yes. I did not. I was 30 years crazy busy, Wow. Uh, which also meant uh, the burnout is bigger because you don't listen to yourself and you don't listen to your body and you don't listen to anybody really. You just have to push ahead. There was a level of drive and ambitiousness that in my head I could not figure out how to get to where I wanted to go without being that way. I had never seen it ever becoming that way otherwise, for sure. So you spent a lot of time pushing. I did. A lot of time pushing. Um, a lot of time doing actually not much but pushing. Whether it was being creative, it was running the businesses, it was just the everyday in the kitchen. It was nothing that had any connection between my head and my body at all. And so that takes its toll on you. Yeah. Obviously. Did you have to take <laughs> some time off when you were complete with that process? I think, I mean, I'd like to sort of say, sure, I took a year off, but I was forced to. I, uh, the tail end of the 30 years, I was doing a lot of consulting. I was sort of getting used to how everybody else lived, you know, weekends, holidays, stuff like that. I had never had that. Um, and to this day, I still sort of, I have like a knee-jerk reaction to what do I do now when I really don't have to do anything. 
but life made it that way. I just suddenly I couldn't get a job. Yeah, so it was a forced way to learn how to relax or how to do nothing and how to be okay with that. And really how to do the one thing I'm meant to be doing. Like I had to sort of figure out in myself how I was going to be this thing that really was a dream. I mean, if, if somebody said, if you could do this for a living, would you do it? I'd be like, sure. But I didn't think that was ever going to be possible because being a chef, a restaurateur, an entrepreneur is so tangible. And the other way isn't. <laughs> there is really no, there's no proof of anything until later. And who is going to trust me? That's true. You're yeah. embarking on a very different kind of business. One, on the first hand, which I think people think is very sexy. Food is sexy. Drink is sexy. New York restaurant. Absolutely. Wow. Very exciting. Nightlife. All a lot kinds of press. Of a lot of attention. Absolutely. Interesting people. Mm -hmm. And your restaurant was really not in alignment with your culture. You're Italian-American in your restaurant? Yes. Um, well, for 20 years, I was a pastry chef. Okay. And then when I finally opened my own restaurant, I did. I opened an Indian restaurant. And how come you chose an Indian restaurant? I one day was teaching a class, which is sort of very outside my wheelhouse. I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm a restaurant chef. I don't teach. But uh, I taught a couple classes. And one of my students came in who was Punjabi. And she brought in a dish from that she made at home. And I took one bite and my restaurant was open within the next 10 months. You were That's hooked. how I was hooked. I pretty much dropped everything, my awards, my <laughs> everything, and I opened an Indian restaurant. It's so fascinating. Yeah, I am still shocked at it when I think about it. I think it's insane. But I did it and it, it, went, it went as well as it could. I will say that. You we opened a, a year and a half before the recession hit. Oh, wow. So talk so, about crazy busy. <laughs> yes. Yes. So in this transformation. Yes. That brought you to what, you know, many would call your gift mm -hmm. and your calling from something so tangible as food and hard work, which is really what, and production, which is what a restaurant's about, to, you know, calling in information in ways that most people don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had been that way my whole life. The The only question was, who is going to come and see me? You know, how do you get your first client? You know, and it's not like, well, I worked in insurance for years, and then I opened up my own insurance company, you know, and you bring your clients with you. I had actually been doing readings for some years here and there. People would call me and ask me what I thought about things for sure. But there was not, I did not have, I have very much sort of a structure in my readings. And I had to sort of figure out what that meant. Also had to figure out how to not panic when there was nothing to do. And there's never nothing to do. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I always have books to do, figure out things, post things, you know, reach out to people. But that's such quiet time compared to a restaurant that I think it took me about three or four years not to just, not panic about my current business, but just overall panic. Because usually I'm like, who needs to be served? Who do I have to fire? Who have to teach this dish? I have to be creative. I have to, you know, go work an event with another chef who I'd rather 
smack in the head. <laughs> like, all the dynamic that constantly goes on because it's nonstop and that's all I knew. And what's burning, what's on fire. Everything, of course. And today? then, of course, by the time I closed Lussie, my Indian restaurant, I had a one-year-old. So it was that juggle as well. And how do I figure that out? How do I, and how do I get out of it? How do I stop myself from that horrible addiction of crazy busy? And I think most people handle that by filling up space. They can't uh, almost deal with the lack of to-dos and tasks. And so they fill the space up with busy work and things that aren't important. They're not trained. We, especially New Yorkers, are not trained to sit and be and to listen, which is a big part of your new business. So how, how did you uh, cope with that transformation? I know you say it took a, a, a couple years, but what are some of the things that you actually did? Well, my body forced it on me because I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome mm -hmm. and I thought I was just coming down with a flu mm. and my body will stop if I do not stop. And I still have it um, and I know when it's coming on and if I don't check myself, I have to be really careful. And actually you coined this term, you said to me recently, this is your this was your turnaround year 2019 was your turnaround year and now i'm always booked or doing an event or having to show up somewhere and i notice that i have to be really careful like i you know when you're i was such a died in the wool cook it's really in my dna i'm so part of that you know it's like live hard play hard that it really takes a lot of me to sort of stop myself <laughs> And you're like, okay, I have to rest. You know, it's I have no choice. Otherwise, I'm going to be a sick disaster very soon. The kind of sick disaster where if I have to run downstairs to pick up my daughter, I can't even make it to the elevator. It's like it's like a, a physical dread. Mm. My brain can still work at a million miles an hour, which I should sort of work on that as well. But it's that bad. So that's how I ended up stopping. And and I think for a lot of listeners and people that I coach. I can sometimes see this coming. And I see it coming when women are around 40 mm -hmm. or they're perimenopausal or they do a big lifestyle change like they waited to have kids maybe till their late 30s, early 40s, and they have two in a row and then they don't stop doing all the things they were doing. They sure. just added sure. two big things called new babies. And we all think we're invincible. But these autoimmunes are serious, right? There's no going back. No, and there's not. It's not my first autoimmune. So for me, it was just go, 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 go. And now it's interesting because one of the things I never thought I would see and almost had to prove itself to me was that I work at a much slower pace and the business is getting successful, which did not work in my head. I don't have that reality. And now I see that like, you know, Heather, get a grip. Like, Say that the world's again. not going to end. You work at a slower pace yep. and the business is getting successful. Yes. Yeah. So more result, less effort. Absolutely. I only work four days a week now. I know that if I do a group reading, which is like between eight and 16 people in a group, like an mm -hmm. event, I have to take the next day off because it will completely drain me. Of course, as entrepreneurs, we're always working in the middle time anyway. I'm always, you know, on your phone, answering emails through the weekend. But I always make sure I work two days, a day off, two days, the weekend. Okay. It is, it is the way it has to go. Pace and space. 
Yes. yes. It used to mean such different things before. <laughs> you know? It does. I mean, how do you think we can get this message to people without them having to get sick? That if we uh, put some space in our day, and especially with the millennial entrepreneurs that I work with, they are the first generation ever to have no space between who they are and their work. The phone is in bed with them, and so their business and their work is right there. There is no space like we had, you know, getting up, getting ready, eating breakfast, spending our time, whatever we had to do. But there's an interesting juxtaposition with the millennials because, you know, as I've seen it, they also have a very different attitude towards work. They're very easy for vacations, which they should be. Everybody should be. There's more demanding about what should go on in a workspace. Really, with that generation, we've changed what corporate America looks like. Look at Google. Like what that that whole culture is is so different than what we know. So they're not separate from their work in Mm -hmm. that way, but their work environment is far more humane in many ways. You know, and they say, how do we add to your lifestyle? We didn't have that. You know, we we didn't have that, but there that's a compensatory reaction. That's true to the that's fact true. that they're on call, uh, kind of twenty four seven. And and in many companies where I go in and say, you know, you don't have to answer email at ten o'clock yeah. at night. It's a it's a revelatory thing for them. So you know, one of the things I'll say is, well, if you had a few glasses of wine after dinner, why would you look at your email at 11 o'clock? Would you go to work after you had a few glasses of wine? And they go, of course not. We never drink before going to work. Well, you're Mm -hmm. answering email under the influence. It's not a good idea. So, you know, learning how to disconnect and creating space between you and your work or you and the things your brain has to think Mm -hmm. about creates a better pace. Yes. And when we have more space and a better pace, I like to say we have more grace. <laughs> and grace I agree. is the antidote to fear, right? And that's that stress true. is fear like. So, I mean, what can you say to people who think, well, that's too bad that that happened to Heather, but that'll never happen to me? Well, I mean, I think that's the human condition. Mm-hmm. Then it's going to happen to you, you know? Yeah. Um, I think we have to really think about where our fear is with work because we only work that hard because of fear. And we have very much an idea of work in this country where if you don't make this amount of money and do this by a certain time, and we have this sort of growing pain when it has to do with work. Ideally, sure, we should all love what we do, but it's also work just to make money so we can live a better life. We need to take time off of that. I'm not so sure I would know what to say if somebody wants to do that. Most people, when they tell me they want to go into the restaurant business, I'll do anything to stop them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And usually a good talk to for me usually sort of like makes them look at it much differently. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to sort of look at what our own worth is. What is our own worth, right? What 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 are we giving up? We're only now connecting these these illnesses to like to our work situation and a lack of setting healthy boundaries, for example. Absolutely, absolutely. I've become very good at setting boundaries. I had none as a restaurant owner. I have all of them now. That's amazing. So, so give us a little example of how you do that. Well, one thing, as I said, I only work a four day work week. 
for sure. And if I if I have to work more than that, I make sure I compensate myself with time, something to take care of myself, a little bit longer weekend, that sort of thing. That's really key just because my brain doesn't work that well otherwise. And oh. of course, I have to be around people all the time. Um, nobody's allowed to have my cell phone number. If you want to get a hold of me for work, make an appointment. It has to be through my website, through email. That is it. That's so powerful right there. Yeah. I mean, that, that disconnection or that, that doorway provides you with safety, like a screen door keeps the mosquitoes yes. out, right? Yes. Tell us a little bit about how someone could work with you and what they would get out of a reading with you. Sure. First, you can always just book it on my, my website. Yes. Uh, whether you're I'm in person or by video or by phone. And we'll have that info in the show notes. Absolutely wonderful. Um, and really, I always tell everybody sort of what to expect in the next hour when I start the reading. Yeah. I, you know, I say I hear, can hear, feel, and see the spirits that come in with you as well as my own. Of the eight clair senses, I have all eight. And on the other side of that, I'm a medical intuitive. So I can, I both manifest in my own body what's going on in yours as well as sort of have a visual of what's going on inside your body. Uh-huh. And then I start to work. I always start sort of with what I call the state of the nation of the <laughs> body. I kind of do a brief scan, best word for it, and sort of see what's going on. And then I begin to go deeper and I tell them why something's out of alignment, why they're having that rash, why they're getting the headaches that I pick up. And then we kind of go from there. Getting to a root cause is just such a big part of my work in helping businesses and people turn around. Yeah. And I feel like I've referred people to you because they need to understand sometimes deeper than what I can see and yes, your abilities. Yes, yes. Uh, the eight clairs, why don't you share what that is? Everyone knows about clairvoyance, the ability to see, but what are the other right. seven? I don't have to remember what they all are off the top of my <laughs> head. Clairvoyance, clairconnaissance, clairgustience. Um, so clairconnaissance, sense of knowing. Clairgustience is hearing. Taste. Taste, I'm sorry, taste. Clairtanancy, touch. Um, and I forget the other two. Clairaudience. Clairaudience. Um, clairsentience. Clairsentience. Thank yeah. you. You know them all. Yeah. Um, I just don't know them at the top of my head. Yeah. I just know them when they come in. Yeah. So I hear, see, smell, know, sense, um, taste, taste, touch. hear, yeah, everything. That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's so helpful to anyone who's trying to get a better handle on why they don't feel well or how they can make decisions. So I guess just lastly, I know you work with CEOs. Yes, I do. And and medical doctors. And yes. so how does that work? Because that's really different. Yes. Well, with CEOs, usually the first hook that they want me in for is to do forecasts to see what's coming up. <laughs> um, in that, we end up sort of working towards when I say something to them like, oh, by the way, the deal you're closing tomorrow, I don't like that guy who tends to wear blue shoes or something like that, something specific. And it makes them sort of like look again and say, how did you know that? I was like, well, it gets on your nerves. And this is what you sort of need to do for that negotiation. I begin to teach them through that sort of what their own intuition should be about business. Mm. Because we're very much taught in the traditional American sense is when you walk into a room of people, like a conference room, remember the idea of the power suit? Or now we just talk about confidence and a certain grooming. But the fact is, it's not about you when you walk in there. You have to feel good, yes. But you have to read the room. Yes. You have to read the room. The idea of reading people is how you get on their better side. Because if you're talking about negotiation in the big picture, you're talking about money. 
Money hits our core about abundance, which hits the sense of love, and then which hits the sense of how we need to be loved. So that's why people really freak out, get aggressive when they talk about money in business. They think they're supposed to be aggressive. But if you sort of meet someone at their energy or meet someone at their tone, they will melt a little bit. They will soften for you. And you get to sort of have the negotiation that isn't a pissing contest, but you get more of what you want because you feel satisfied because they can talk to the way you need to be talked to. That's and you can give, and they can walk out of there feeling, I may have, I may have compromised, but I feel better as I walk out of the room. Mm. And that's huge. So satisfaction. Because yes, it is satisfaction because what all negotiation in business is, is human relations. And then I also work a lot with people who want to purchase or rent out big real estate mm. because I'm very good at sensing spaces where the plumbing issues are. What's the problem with the landlord? Is there a means of egress that can be taken over by the subway system? Which we have that. Is there going to be any issues with your permits? That comes up a lot. That's, That's incredibly valuable. It can be, yeah. It can be very valuable. As for doctors, Usually I'm brought in when there's a case that's a problem. They can't figure out why something's returning, a diagnosis went wrong, or a patient being their own advocate feels like there's something more and they have the gut idea of it. They just know something's up and they kind of come for me for confirmation or just any sort of clarity. Yeah, I would imagine before a big surgery or anything that's that serious and permanent, mm -hmm. someone would want to get a, an alternative opinion which is yeah. to see, I kind of liken you to somebody who can give me a more peripheral vision. So I have more information That's a very as good to make a better it. decision. Yeah. And I, as a decision maker, because I'm changing all the time and change is about making more decisions faster, mm -hmm. appreciate having more information. It isn't that you're going to tell me what to do all the time, but you're going to give me the information that's critical that I may not have seen. Yeah, correct. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. So powerful. It's like walking in with a little more knowledge. And yeah. everyone needs that. So Heather, this has been wonderful. Thank I you. I encourage everybody to reach out if you want to find out more about what this is, uh, what Heather does and how it can mean something for you. She's at heathercarlucci.com. Again, in the show notes, Thank you, Heather. Thank you so much, Karen. This episode of Crazy Busy, The Interviews was recorded and supported by the Art House Hotel, New York City, with 291 guest rooms, three on-site restaurants, and nightly entertainment. Book your next stay at the Art House Hotel or call in for group rates and events. ArthouseHotelNYC.com.